0: Navigating the Datascape with Chris Presley and special guests. Welcome to Episode 6 of the Datascape Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Presley, and today we're going to talk about the Google Next Conference with John Lamb. Hey, John, how you doing? I'm great, Chris. How are you? I'm well, thanks. John, help the audience get to know you a little bit. Can you give us a quick overview of your career and where you work?
1: Oh, yeah, Sure. Well, I'm currently a cloud solution architect uh, at Pythian, focusing mostly on Google Cloud. started this opportunity recently. It's a very interesting new step in my career journey. I come from originally a networking background, graduated with a telecommunications degree. I got into network design quite early and started growing the IT field, jumping around between networking, servers, storage, general system, uh, sysops. And at some point, I realized that I pretty much became a full-stack engineer and got into infrastructure architecture, especially given my design background. So from there, I got into you know the cloud. I think I've been working with the well, in a fuzzy way, you can say working with the cloud for about seven years now. Professionally, I took it up about three to five years ago and started actually consulting with uh, clients until I merged both worlds and it became you know cloud solutions and infrastructure architecture. And that's where I am today.
0: Great. Okay. So let's. Uh, so, were you at the Google Next conference last week?
1: Yes, I was. It was quite an interesting experience. So interesting that I actually decided to go for the certification, Cloud Architect, and I got it. So.
0: Oh, congrats. That's so, just for anybody, the Google Next conference is fairly new, and there are probably lots of people listening who have never been there. Can you, in your own words, tell us what the conference is?
1: Oh yeah, of course. Well. The interesting thing is that I believe this conference used to be called Google I.O., and part of Google's repositioning strategy of, you know, where they are in IT and now that they're getting into the cloud space, I believe they decided to rename it from Google I.O., which is a lot more developer-focused and developer-centric, into Google Cloud Next, which is a lot more cloud-focused and really pushing the Google Cloud platform forward.
0: Okay. So is it fairly technical, develop, still a developer conference, or would you say it's management focused, or is it a mix? Who should go?
1: It's actually it's, it's very interesting to see how they've shifted gear and repositioned themselves, and they really are going a different direction. It's true, Google did used to be very, uh, extremely developer focused to the extent that I know for a fact that most of their SREs are developers before their SREs. And no, now you feel like they really did take the plunge and decide to, you know, not jump ship but just steer away from just development to being, you know, full stack. Let's provide an actual platform for everyone, you know, for SysOps engineers, for DevOps engineers, for developers, for pretty much anyone in IT to come and build something on their platform. Uh, And you see that. You see that almost everywhere in, in the position of the services they're offering, the new services they're providing they're trying to cater to very different parts of the market and they're doing it at a very fast pace.
0: Okay. So when I, in reading Google's blog, they announced, you know, a hundred or they, they claim a hundred announcements for Google next. Now they kind of cheated. If you read right to the end, it's actually 101. They kind of announced, you know, things like Spanner a little bit before, but included it. When I read the announcements, you know, one through 58 were product and feature related 59 through a hundred were really more like what clients were using it for this and that. So mm-hmm. a little bit of marketing spin there, but still 58 product or so product announcements is, is a lot of features. And, you know, obviously they use the event to market their cloud, which, I mean, that's what everybody does. So of the, you know, roughly a hundred announcements Let's talk about what, what were the most relevant or most important that, in your view? Uh,
1: well, just before we touch on that, another interesting thing about the, the first 58, 59 announcements is that you see that Google didn't just come to the cloud as a platform. They also coupled in G Suite with that. So they're trying to be holistic in that manner as well. So everyone that was on the G Suite side is now part of Google Cloud. And anyone who's on the Google Cloud side is part of the G Suite side as well but they really are trying to build one holistic platform at all levels. And you see that out of those hundred, like you just said, you know, some of them are, oh, okay, we have a new data center in this region, or some of them are like, now we're partnering with this company. And then another portion of them is, okay, now there are these new features on Gmail, these new features on G Drive. So the ones that are really Google Cloud-focused from a cloud platform side, I could say they're a handful, but they're still relatively out impactful. So just as a general idea, I mean, I tried to break them down into a few silos just so it's more organized. On the infrastructure side, I think everyone who's dabbled with Google Cloud knows App Engine. It's, they're infamous for it. They've been doing it for a very long time. They actually took it to a new level because App Engine was always very restrictive in the sense that there was a certain runtime, there's a certain structure for the way you deploy apps on it and now they're coming up with App Engine Flex, which is a, let's just say, it's a sort of managed Docker infrastructure. Then again, it's a managed service, and it's pretty much no ops. You have Cloud Functions, so you know they're re- responding to AWS's Lambda with that. Of course, it's still in beta, though. Some interesting stuff around uh, networking, they came up with this new idea called cross-project networking, where if a company has a single, you know, administrative body that's owning their cloud processes and their cloud operations, this one organization can create something called a cross-project network and then manage everything that has to do with networking in their cloud deployment from one place instead of having to work on a per-project basis. Other than that, in infrastructure, you have, I mean, performance improvements across the board, everything from their, you know, their underlying SSDs, their Cloud SQL instances. So a lot of work there. When it comes to data, one of, of course, like you just said, they, they mentioned this already, Cloud Spanner, it's the big hype now, you know, horizontally scaling, geo-consistent. It definitely has a lot of hype. I have spoken to some of the guys in Pithian about it. They have some mixed feelings. Of course, you know, the marketing says something, but the real world is, okay, it's, it's not as green on the other side yeah. of that fence.
0: Cloud, Cloud SQL... D- R- DBAs tend to be yeah. a, a skeptical opinionated bunch so I I, you know it's a lot of it depends and so I I can't say that I blame them sorry you were saying Uh,
1: I don't blame them at all that's actually a great it's a great attitude to have because we we hear a lot of marketing hype it's it's good to have someone to always go in there and question it other than that Cloud SQL so this is their managed uh, database platform and now it's running uh, Postgres in addition to just MySQL Microsoft SQL Server Enterprise is available uh, in general Sure, that makes you happy.
0: <laughs> Why do you? Let's step back a little bit. Why do you think that Postgres was a target for their managed data services platform? Two things. First
1: of all, I know there were a lot of customers that were asking about it. I mean, especially if you're giving a managed database service, Amazon came out with RDS saying that you have, you know, MySQL, Postgres, Oracle, Microsoft SQL Server. They came up with options. Google came out with MySQL and that was it. So, you either use it or you don't. Otherwise, you have to manage your own database. The other interesting thing about Postgres specifically is, and this is something I was informed about uh, from other DBAs, is that there are a lot of customers now that want to get off Oracle, and it seems like migration from Oracle into Postgres is a lot easier or a uh, a lot smoother than any other database engine. So, I definitely see that this opens the door for a lot of companies out there that are either already Postgres houses or they're Oracle houses that want to move off Oracle and they want to get into the cloud and they don't want to have to manage their own databases anymore. It's it's an interesting strategic approach they took, and I believe those are the two main drivers behind it.
0: Yeah, I I would agree. I I would think this is a shot towards Oracle. The SQL Server Enterprise is an interesting one. Uh, If it's Enterprise, you know, version 2012 and 2014, which I think it is, that makes sense. 2016 Service Pack 1 and on doesn't really make a lot of sense because most of the features are available in standard edition anyway. But they probably started on it before that was announced. What else did you see that was significant for you?
1: Uh, one, One interesting partnership that they did is with SAP, so now SAP HANA is licensed on GCP. That's something that was getting certain demand from the market. People were asking that question, you know, they, they have their, I mean, all these, all these solutions like SAP and Oracle, organizations that have these really high demand uh, mission critical services that they run, and all of a sudden they're like, okay, we want to move to the cloud. How can we do it? And it was all things like this that were sort of a hurdle. Now I know companies that you know jumped on ship anyway and they're like, "You know what? It's not licensed or it's not supported by uh, the company, but I have a partner that I'm working with that you know I don't really need the support from the actual company. My partner's pretty good at it anyway. I know some companies did that with Oracle on GCP for a while. So yeah' that's, that's mostly on the data side. Oh, one other interesting one. So I mean, I'm sure you've heard of Big Table. Yes. you know, another one of Google's wonder kids, you know, this one of their inventions that makes the world so much better. Interesting thing is that now you have federated access between BigQuery and BigTable. So you can use BigQuery to query tables that are stored in BigTable. So instead of having to sit and move stuff around, you know, in on your infrastructure you're talking about such large amounts of data living in BigTable. Instead of needing to move that into BigQuery in order to take advantage of it, you can just do it straight up.
0: That's big. Also, yeah, <laughs> no pun <it's>, intended.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh I'm telling you, they're really trying to they're trying to push ease of service, ease of use, really trying to make the platform as friendly as possible and really trying to cater to everyone. I mean, I still have points about security and data science things that they've done there that it's amazing how fast they're going and how many directions and they're still keeping up. Like, I have so much respect for Google engineers right now.
0: Right. One of the things we see with Google, though, is they are fairly fast, uh, quick to kill things that aren't working. Had, did they talk anything about that at the conference?
1: Not at the conference. I have had quite a bit of FaceTime with uh, Google reps, whether they're engineers or salespeople or just, you know, managers. And that's that's a topic that always comes up and something that scares them about themselves because they do have that reputation. I mean, for example, Gmail was in beta for how long? Like a decade. Right. And then, you know, when, when an enterprise or anyone from the enterprise space telling them beta is a big no-no, they're like, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to not gonna put my stuff there. Right. But uh, from what I've been seeing so far, they've been quick to react. They haven't been killing services, and almost anything that reaches beta, I feel like it lasts there for a very short period of time and is somewhat already production-ready. Mm-hmm. And the other thing some people don't know about this is that there are... There are services out there that are in alpha, and you can get whitelisted for those, and that's where things tend to change a lot. So they've definitely changed their maturity model in that sense.
0: In the case of maturity, do you think that one of the other criticisms over the years about Google has been that they don't get uh, enterprise? I know that you're working and, and getting a lot of time with the engineers. Do you think that's true?
1: I think that used to be true. And that's another one of the messages they really try to bring across and they try to bring across a lot at Google Next is they're trying to reposition themselves to make themselves a lot more enterprise friendly. And like I said, I mean they were very developer focused. They were very much, you know, like startup, you know, the underdogs, like, oh, there's this, you know, hacker in a room. <laughs> but now it's like, no, we wanna we wanna speak to the whole crowd and if you look at, uh, I definitely need to get a, a, like a nice big snapshot picture of all the new services and the old services that they have. You can really see a good spectrum across the board of different levels of management as well as different level of uh, advancement in services. A very simple example. I mean, they had DataProc, which runs, you know, Spark clusters, but you know, those are pretty much it's it's semi-managed. I wouldn't call it fully managed because you still have to interact with the infrastructure to some extent, but then they have Dataflow, which is fully managed, but you still have to be a data scientist to know what you're doing. And now they just released something called Data Prep, which is pretty much a very nice UI that lives on top of Dataflow, so it makes everything, you know, just point-and-click friendly. So, you really see that they're trying to cater to all different aspects. It's like, okay, the people that are really deep into it, that want to manage everything, and then the ones that just want to be able to run their infrastructure. Without having to worry about
0: it. Hey, so I, I, I find myself very torn about this. In one in one sense, I think that you know a lot of the revenue for cloud uh, public clouds is in the enterprise, and so I feel like I've, I've been waiting for Google to air quotes grow up. But in some sense, I'm hoping that they never grow up. It's just like I don't want to be an adult myself. <laughs> and what I mean by that is like in one sense. Yeah, you need to be enterprise to get the enterprise, the big corporate money. But if you do that, then maybe you have to slow down. And what I see, I mean, Microsoft and Amazon are doing this too, where they're innovating and moving very, very fast. But, you know, it's got to be tough as a Google executive to decide, okay, we're going to cater to the enterprise, which means we have to do things a little bit different or have this level of stability that is innovation, not innovation enhancing, but, you know, But we're really this hacker sense of brilliant people in Silicon Valley who build amazing things and are often misunderstood. So I'm really torn on what to root for. You know, if you're listening, Google executives, which you likely aren't, you know, perhaps you want to think about branding products as LTS like Linux does, where you have a long term supported products where you, you dedicate, but you have other ones that you aren't and allows you to innovate them. When you were at the conference, was there any kind of, were there any moments where you heard something from that, that just said that made you really excited? Were there any big answers to customer problems that you're seeing out and about that made you really happy?
1: I think the biggest answer, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a feature. The overall attitude that they're taking, the fact that so much has come in such a little time, usually that would scare me but the fact that it's coming out at a certain level of stability, that gets me excited in terms of the customer side. What gets me excited on the technical side, like the engineer in me, is just the way they do things. They're not, you don't feel like they're playing catch up with the other providers. They are in a feature sense, so it's like, you know, oh okay, you know, Amazon's doing this, Azure's doing this, look, we're doing it too. But then when you dig in and see the way they do it, this is where I see the ingenuity of Google and the Google engineers just like something that's very simple and I should have read about this previously but when it came to my attention I was just blown away I was like finally someone did this in a very smart engineering manner and it's the way they deploy load balancers they deploy them in a manner that that's actually globally available and it makes you it gives you the freedom to run a multi-region you know multi-region multi-continent form of your application in a very simplistic way, while on other services, usually you had to deal with, oh, how am I going to re- use my DNS? And, oh, I need to do, like, you know, rules for, you know, distributing my my DNS responses based on where the client's from. They looked at it, they're like, okay, you know, this already exists in networking. Let's take advantage of that. And They did that, and, you know, it just becomes that much easier. Small things like that, you see, it's like, okay, this. they, they really are built to engineer from the ground up. Another interesting thing that this might this might scare you a little, their data centers run hot. They don't run cool. Really? And when I first heard that I was like, interesting. And it seems like when they were building their data centers, and by the way, they're they're built on the open compute project. So their racks are pretty customized and they literally change rack by rack instead of, you know, server by server. It's like, oh there's a server blown in that rack, they pull out the whole rack, they get another one, plug it in. Like it baffles me from the engineering side of things. And apparently they run their servers hot because they realize that from an energy efficiency side of things, the amount of energy they'd waste on keeping their servers just, you know, ten degrees cooler or twenty degrees cooler is costing them so much more and it's not that good for the environment. So small things like that. It's just it's really interesting
0: to see and to learn about. It is. I I find that stuff too. I, I, I like that as well. Would you say that Google's cloud strategy has changed over last year at all? Or is it still the same? Uh, I don't know if it changed over the
1: last year. It definitely changed over the past few years. But I feel like in this last year, they really made some very big investments. And I'm talking on both you know, technical side, development side, even growth of the actual organization as the Google Cloud. Probably, I mean, most people attribute this to Diane Green coming over from VMware and she knows the enterprise space pretty well. So and I, I'm sure, you know, this is definitely an effect of her being on board and her leading the ship. So I wouldn't say that their strategy is changing as much as it's being a lot more enforced today than it was a year ago or two years ago.
0: Okay. One of the comments I appreciated from one of the keynotes actually was, you know, we're spending, and I think the number was $30 billion on our cloud. We can do this and you can't don't even try. And I thought that was, you know what, the way I say it, it kind of sounds rude, but it makes so much sense. Like if you're a tier two organization and you're thinking I can still build my own cloud, it, that's crazy. Looking at the expertise that all of that, that all three have and resources, you know, figure out how to make theirs work is, is good. And the other quote I particularly appreciated that was publicly is get on the cloud now, you know, innovate mm-hmm. and get going now. And I, I thought that was uh Of course, self-serving, but it makes a lot of sense, you know, getting the, bringing the velocity into your, uh, and innovation into your enterprise. It was good.
1: And the great thing is that you can do it. It's, they're trying to make it that easy for you to do it. And trust me, I've been through data center design before. I know what it takes to build a data center, to have everything up and running from everything, not just the actual IT part, but you have the electrical, the mechanical, you know, HVAC, plumbing, so many things need to go into it. And. The fact that they're putting all this money—it's like, yeah, this is a very big deal.
0: Data center facilities are a big. There's a lot to it that you might not think about. It's funny. I I was I uh, used to play squash with a guy. Met him through another friend, and I, you know, in getting to know one another, I said, "What do you do?" He said, uh, "I'm an electrician." And I thought, "Oh yeah, you know, out on construction sites or." And we got to talking, and he said, "No, no, I work in a data center all day. It's great. I never get cold. I just run wires in a, in this data center." Uh, and I thought, you know, that's when. So talking back and forth, the different skills in maintaining those facilities is 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 crazy. And so, yeah, and we've all heard the. Uh, and this actually happened in another. Another past life where we couldn't figure out why a server would go down every Saturday, you know, at a close to a particular time. And it's because the cleaning staff was unplugging a power cord <laughs> to plug in their vacuum. <laughs> and that stumped us for a month. Perfect. So, you know, skills are That's a big deal. And it can, it's, you know, low tech uh, problems to high tech, uh, uh, causing high tech uh, problems. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So as you were there, was there anything stuck out, that stuck out to you as, a, as like a, a shot across maybe Amazon or Microsoft's bow? Like, was there anything, any announcement that you just said, oh, yeah, that's aimed directly at the competition?
1: Um, I, I, there were a few things. Uh, I wouldn't say one thing that just, you know, goes against all. Like, you know, the whole Postgres on Cloud SQL, that's definitely a, a hit towards Oracle. Mm-hmm. Cloud Functions is a response to you know, AWS's Lambda, but that's a little more of, oh look, you know, we can do what you do. There was the whole pricing issue and th- that made it into the media that Google works on a continued use discount basis, so you start using the virtual machines and with time, you know, the more you use them, the lower they'll charge you. And now they've come out with saying, you know what, you can also pay ahead the same way you would do reserved instances in AWS and Azure, and you'll get even more of a discount. So they're really trying to play the price game, and I feel they they think they have the liberty to do that, and they probably do, because their data centers are so efficient and so custom-made that they know exactly how much it costs them to run a data center. They know exactly how much it costs them to you know, keep the maintenance going and all that. So they might have a lot more of a better grasp on their infrastructure than AWS and Microsoft do. Now, this is speculation. Okay. So that's probably where they, they come out saying, okay, you, know, you want to play the price game? Let's play the price game. And it kind of reminded me of you know, T-Mobile and Verizon <laughs> going <laughs> yeah. on with the unlimited plans and all that.
0: Yeah, I don't know about the whole price thing. I understand how, you know, that, how important it is, but it's also kind of a race to a bo- the bottom. At some point, one of these guys, the players is going to say, I'm not playing the price game, which will be the cue that, you know, maybe they all stop. At, I don't know. When you're thinking about the Google Cloud and when you're interacting with the engineers, if if I was a customer, if I was a Acme Insurance Co, and I'm thinking about getting more more involved with the cloud, like honestly, most large companies are already involved with the cloud, probably more than one provider. But what are the things that stand out to you when you're looking at the Googles, that Google's offering versus the competition? What screams, if you do this, go to Google?
1: I can tell you one thing that I still am very hesitant about and I say don't go to Google is Microsoft. I don't think they're, they're that big in the Microsoft space yet, especially that they are a very, well, they're an enormous Linux house. So if it's anything that's Linux-based, and you want managed services that are easy to use, Google is usually my first option. And this is before I even, you know, I even jumped on the Google bandwagon. Like this is just a general view that I had of the cloud spectrum. AWS might be more mature in certain services, and you know, they do have some, they have a wider range of services, but a lot of overlap between them and some aspects. And then you know Microsoft is Microsoft. You're a Microsoft house. There's a good chance you're going to be on Azure at least for you know an Active Directory and things like that. Uh, AWS tried to mimic that, running you know Active Directory as a service. I feel like this is where I say you know GCP is still lagging. So this is where I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend Google. But when it comes to especially like data and analytics, that's that's the low hanging fruit. That's where they really are superior because I mean. BigQuery doesn't have a counterpart on any other service provider. Right. It it does by name, but in actual you know, in actual usage, it doesn't. You know, Redshift you still have to spin up a cluster. BigQuery it's fully managed, hands off. You know, no ops for lack of a better explanation. Uh, that's where that's where Google really shines. You know, they have Dataflow now. They have Data Prep for you know ETL and batch and stream processing. PubSub fully managed service so if you really want a hands-off experience if you're running a, a company and you know it could be a small company but with a huge volume of revenue but you don't have and you don't want to have the engineering resources to really manage all your infrastructure Google is a very viable option the one the one issue and the one thing where I say Google beats Amazon is you don't need to learn something new with Google they've followed the open source approach so much and if you're comfortable just using you know, click-and-point and, and Linux-type terminology, it's quite easy to pick up Google. When you go to Amazon, you have to learn about you know, policies and in their ARN system and their security system. And it's, they are constructs that they built, which is very interesting. But at the same time, there's a learning curve there. That's something you have to consider. So I always think that it's easier moving from Amazon to GCP than it is from GCP to Amazon.
0: Do they have, and that's a good segue. There are a couple of things that I really want to talk about. Amazon has, from the data side of things, and this is a data-focused podcast, but Amazon has a number of programs, whatever you want to call them, features that will allow you to rapidly convert or move your data into their cloud. How does Google approach this sort of thing?
1: Google do not have that specific service yet, especially in terms of, well, if you're talking databases, and can, let's break this down. If you're talking about storage, like object storage, Google actually have the service uh, pretty well done. You can transfer directly from S3. You can even have like a scheduled process that does it. Uh, you can transfer from your on-premise environment. Also, it can be a scheduled process or just like a one-time job. When you go to databases, AWS, they have this database migration service, and that that's really interesting because like you said, you can can migrate your database to the cloud and you can also change the database engine now you know of course again this is marketing this is the boilerplate statement or you can do that but then when you actually try and do the process there are times when the system will tell you okay you know you can do this but these are the things that we can't migrate for you then you have to go back and do some work right so yeah they do make do they do make that easy Google's platform for this is uh, I believe they partnered with a company called Cloud Endure which Pretty much takes care of server migration and VM migration into their cloud. Kind of mimics the server migration service, the general server migration service that uh, AWS has, just to get your machines onto you know Google Compute Engine. And then if you're a MySQL house, you know you can then switch over to Cloud SQL, and you know shortly you'll have the same option with Postgres, and that's pretty much their counterpart. But the whole schema migration thing, I still say that that's a only available on AWS. I haven't seen it being provided anywhere else.
0: Okay. The other thing that you said there that really piqued my interest is about learning Google. How Do you have any recommendations for resources to learn and play with the Google Cloud or Google Features?
1: Yeah, well, actually, this this is another announcement. They extended when you first start up with a Google account, you have to create a billing account to go with that. And they usually give you, I believe $300 in credit. Yep. And that was restricted up to three months. Now it's restricted up to 12 months. So you have 12 months to play with 300 bucks and they might've even increased the 300. I have to check that.
0: I'm pretty sure it stayed at 300, but I'm, I'm happy about, cause I was looking at it myself, uh, but I'm, I'm really happy about the extension because I lost my 300 bucks because I couldn't get through it. Like, you know, yeah. I had every intention like everybody else in the world and, Got busy, and you know, by the time I got back to it, it expired, so that's exciting. Are there any learning resources, though, that you would recommend, uh, sites or materials?
1: Yeah, so uh, two answers for that. First of all, they have a partnership with QuickLabs, which I believe they acquired recently, and QuickLabs was a huge AWS partner for training. Uh, that gets you some really good hands-on experience with navigating the, the console and knowing how to do different things. I'm sure it. I went through the foundational training experience, which anyone who with a cloud background doesn't necessarily need unless you just want to get you know, familiar with the, the terminology that Google uses. Mm-hmm. But using Quick Labs, it will get you that easy hands-on experience. If you go to cloud.google.com slash training, that should be the URL, you'll get access to all the training courses and learning tracks that they have. Uh, they have four main learning tracks, which is Cloud Infrastructure, uh, Big Data and Machine Learning, uh, DevOps and Development, I believe, and uh, G Suite Administration. And then from that, they have a few certification tracks as well if you want to go down that route. They don't have a counterpart for development yet. I do believe there is something coming out soon, just judging from the fact that they have that learning track. There's a Data Engineer cert that's still in beta. I believe that's going to be coming out to GA soon. Uh, Cloud architect, of course, uh, that's out. It was announced recently, and G Suite administrator. Okay. So yeah, you wanna you wanna get your hands dirty? Just you know, sign up for an account. You know, get it going. It's as easy as having a Google based account. I think you can even use a Gmail account okay. to get in and start playing around. Quick Labs for labs, and check out their training site for more resources.
0: Okay. Good thoughts there, John. I mean, that's the well. That's what I recommend to anyone is, you know, provided you have the somewhat somewhat foundational knowledge, just get out there, uh, do a little reading, but then get in there, get your hands dirty, start playing around, get on some forums, start talking to people, just build something and and see what happens. That's the best way to learn. Well, I think we've covered the conference fairly well. I do want to get you back to talk about two things that you mentioned, where I'd like to get deeper into the Google Cloud. Offerings, but also talking about the different careers out there for uh, in the cloud, you know I, I was uh, asked for advice this week by someone who wanted some my thoughts on where that they should go in the cloud they wanted to be a cloud architect. but the truth is that it's becoming such a broad career that you can't just be a cloud you know you can be a cloud architect, but you know what does that really mean? What do you really know which cloud is that infrastructure is that data is that something else? So I'd love to have you back to discuss those things with us. Yeah. Definitely.
1: So at that point,
0: I'd like to move into the lightning round, since it's your first time on the podcast. And this is where Ooh. I ask you a couple of quick, a uh, couple of questions, just getting to know you a little bit better, and try to answer them with the first thing that comes to mind. So in your career, what project are you the most proud of?
1: In my cloud career, I have to say it's uh, one of my projects prior to joining Pythian. I help a company go from a small on prem license based model software deployment to an infrastructure as a service and somewhat a platform as a service deployment for their customers. Help them to go from you know targeting SMEs to to more larger enterprises, really help them to integrate into the cloud and cloud solutions so they could take advantage of their application that had a lot of power but was just you know underserving for just so many years that that's one of my favorite projects just because it really took a full stack approach i had to focus on everything from you know database and data architecture to the actual software architecture and the platform architecture you know using tomcat using cdn's load balancers scaling out it was it was very interesting
0: full re architecture Oh, I love those projects. That's that's awesome. Is there a book or a podcast that has made an impact on your career that you recommend anyone read?
1: Not much of a book. I have to say I'm I'm a fan of the Four Dummies series, just because I feel like it's really good at dumbing things down, and that's usually the easiest way to grasp a concept. So, yeah, I'm a certified dummy. Don't worry about it.
0: <laughs> so perhaps, say- perhaps you'll offer the GCP for dummies? Maybe so. Maybe so. Standing or sitting desk? Actually, neither.
1: I'm currently developing a walking desk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Patent pending, I'm sure. Laptop or desktop?
1: Laptop, but I love the desktop, but I live in New York, so not much space for it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Mac or PC? Mac. All right. Simply uh...
1: because of the POSIX nature of it.
0: <laughs> okay, so iPhone or Android?
1: iPhone. Switching to Android, possibly.
0: Ah. Still, so, um,
1: I'm I'm in that indecision space. Been getting frustrated with Apple and their choices. So.
0: Gotcha. Well, keep keep me posted. I'm I'm up for renewal soon myself. Mm-hmm. What is a the best tool or app that you use on a daily basis? My terminal. <laughs> Nobody said I that. <laughs> <laughs> Command line uh, to the end. Yep. And so it was uh, really. I, someone... Go ahead.
1: Sorry, someone actually asked me once, what's the best tool you've ever used in networking? And I told them, Pink.
0: <laughs> Yeah, It's all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. Dash T. <tea. laughs> so really great to get to know you today, John. If people are interested in learning more about you or contacting you or reading what you've written, where can they find you?
1: I used to have a blog. Didn't keep it up much, but uh, it's still there. And I hopefully do plan on getting back into it. It's tech 7 com. Which is actually a play on words in different language. I'm on Twitter. It's layham and NYC. That's my handle. I also should start blogging for Tessian. So we're looking forward to that. And of course, you know, company email layham at Always reach me there.
0: Excellent, John. Well, thank you, thank you for coming today, and I'm looking forward to having you on again soon. That's all the time we have for today, folks. The biggest compliment you can give us is telling a friend and writing a review on iTunes. What did you think about today's podcast? What did I miss? What would you like to hear more from John about? Send us feedback or ask us questions at datascapepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day in the Datascape. Navigating the Datascape.